if for some of you who followed from day one when I preached and day two when I preached, it's going to be sort of a continuation of a conversation that I feel I was mandated to handle concerning the season that your nation is going through. And my mandate comes from the second Corinthians, the 11th chapter, the third verse. Paul says, but I fear least by any means. And when he says means, he means he can do it anyway. The serpent deceives thee as he beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. This was a genuine fear from Paul. He fears genuinely that we could be beguiled as a serpent did to Eve through his subtlety that our minds are corrupted from the simplicity which is in Christ. In other words, Christ is a simplicity. But I don't want you to forget that the narrative here is the simplicity in Christ, not the simplicity of Christ. When it comes to the orb of this Christ, there are complexities. Hallelujah. But to us, the Bible says it is given to us to know the mysteries of this person. It's given to us to know the mysteries of the kingdom. And so, in, I believe it's Proverbs where he says that the wisdom is to come to give subtlety to the simple. Because later on in the 14th verse, he is disturbed that we love simplicity. Many people love simplicity. People love, you know, shallow things. We love taking what we are able to understand, not necessarily from where God wants us to understand. And I realize that even though God is calling the church to a certain depth, when that depth comes in Christ, it will come in simplicity. That's what he's saying. So when we are talking about simplicity in Christ, we're not saying that we should be shallow. We are saying that we should be deep. Are you following what I'm saying? And so you have to go to Genesis firstly to understand what exactly Paul says when he says he fears. Many of us know the story. The serpent comes to Adam and Eve and tells them, Aha! Did God tell you that you shall not eat of every tree of a garden. And they say, no, he told us that we shall eat of every tree of every garden, of, of the garden, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he tells them, no, God does know that when you eat of that tree, you shall be like God, able to know that which is good and what? And evil. The scriptures tell us when the serpent hands over that fruit, I think it's verse 9, Genesis 2. The Bible says that the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and able to make one wise. Remember, if you go back in the creation story when God created the trees and, 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 and all that comes with that, the Bible says God created it, created them and said that they were good for the eyes and they were pleasant. No, sorry. He says they were pleasant to the eyes and good for food. So it wasn't new that Eve had seen a tree that was good for food and pleasant to the eyes. 
everything God has created or had created was good. And every fruit in that garden was actually pleasant to the eyes and good for food. So when, she, when the Bible tells us that she saw that the tree was good for food and that was pleasant for, to the eyes, that wasn't new. But this third thing here, the tree was desired to make one wise. But the Bible says the woman saw. In other words, wisdom, whether divine or fallen, has a vision. The serpent cast a vision on Eve to see what wisdom was. Wisdom is not just something you imagine. It's not just an abstract idea. It's an experience that the human spirit can actually see. As of whether it has the wisdom to discern that this is of God or it's not of God, wisdom can actually be seen. Here we see the woman's eyes were open and she saw that this thing can make somebody wise. That was the, invita that was the invitation that led to the fall of man. It's important for us to note this because Satan here is revealing his biggest or strongest trick. He cast the wrong vision on man to see a wisdom that was forbidden and they embraced it. And from then on, man died. So we see that when it comes to wisdom, it's a matter of life or death. But our generation does not seem to see it that way. Why? Because not many believers, and I'm sorry to say this, actually understand the difference between fallen wisdom and divine wisdom. Why? Because many things vindicate us along the way, especially when the grace of God comes as to the seasons that he has accorded in human existence. It's only us who go back to read scripture and realize, both in the ancient texts and modern history, that God can move even when a generation doesn't know him fully. The anointing can flow even when a generation doesn't know him fully. Miracles can happen even in a generation that doesn't know him fully. Even with the people that don't know him fully. Why? Because by his mercy, he's able to reach us where we are. Are you following what I'm saying? Some of us who read church history read about a wonderful man called William Branham. This man stood on the pulpit and the story is very clear. Robert Slayerdon writes about it. This man would preach and the presence of God would hit the whole stadium and a ring, a cloud uh, would come in form of a ring and surround where he was. In fact, some of you have seen pictures where he's speaking and a halo of light comes on his head. Are you following what I'm saying? Nobody in that generation was as prophetic as William Branham was. And nobody functioned in the healing anointing like William Branham functioned in. He was amazing. If it was faith, he carried the extension. In fact, some wonderful men of God can attest that they received healing anointings from his hand. He was truly a man of God. But there was something that was questionable in his doctrine. It's important for me to use that example. Because at one time it's spoken that one day he is on the pulpit going to minister and he receives a vision of one of his pastors going to preach on another altar and God shows him, William, that the pastor was going to preach a wrong doctrine. And he called him and told him, you're going to preach about it, change it. But the very William Branham, who could correct a man on the altar, the, the story is given that later on he went into another doctrine. 
If some of you have read his works, he says that the serpent had sex with Eve and produced Cain. So I think some of you know the story. Now, I'm not here to really debate whether it's, you know, a doctrine. Eh? Please don't get me wrong. I'm only trying to give you an example that there was a man. I'm not being hard. How do you know when you're answering? <laughs> that there was a man who could correct his own when they received the wrong oracle, but at the end of it all, the very brother or man of God got it wrong in the end. We have questions that we might never answer. I don't judge him because I don't know whether if I was in his place, I would have done better. We are all a work of grace. We're all speaking from where we see. Now time comes, one of his men called Gordon Lindsay calls him and tells him, you know what, the thing you're preaching is not right. And he says, but I love teaching. And it's spoken that I think it was Kennedy. It's not my fault. You're telling me to shout, but it's not my fault. Sorry? Speak English. Somebody help me. I'm not here. Oh, it's an echo thing. Sorry, it's not me. Mr. Echo. Can I continue, please? Somebody has refused in the back. We have no control over the echo. Try to endure. Oh, I changed the mic. Okay, give me another mic. I hope it, it will take out the echo. Will it change it? No, they insist no. They will fix it. Trust them, please. So, Kenneth e. Hagen prophesies the day, the time, when this dear servant, by prophecy, was going to be taken to heaven because he had not obeyed originally the assignment that God had given him. And on the same day, the same place, the same time as Kennedy Hagen had prophesied, William Branham went to be with the Lord. The story given on this man's life, and it's important for us to understand this because our conversation is revival. The story given was when they, have, when they get an accident, his wife dies immediately. His son is driving in front of them. He sees the accident. He parks, goes out of the car, and then he gets to his father's body and he asks him, is your mother alive? And there's no pulse. He tells her, drag my body to your mother. They drag his body to a woman who was dead and she was raised from the dead immediately. You don't argue that he was anointed. Are you following what I'm saying? But he didn't finish the way God had designed him to finish. When I read those things, I fear for me. Are you following what I'm saying? Because we did not only get born again to go to heaven. But we understand the counsel that God has given us. The responsibility we carry as stewards of this mystery. And pray by God that we get it right. Oh, that we have the right, if we have the right meaning people around us to correct us, if we go astray, please do correct us in the spirit of love and humility, but that it's important for us to speak according to the word. 
Is somebody understanding what I'm saying? Through his subtlety, a man was deceived to bring an extra biblical doctrine. But it was prophetically accurate. He was anointed by God. We admire the anointing that functioned on his life. So when Paul says he has a fear in 2 Corinthians, understand his fear. That this deception by the subtlety that he extends by Eve was the vision that he cast on her eyes to see a wisdom she was not supposed to see and take that as wisdom. Are you following what I'm saying? He knows that if he can give us another understanding of God, another image of God, another teaching of God, he says one might come and preach a Christ we did not preach to you. A gospel we never gave you. A spirit that was not given. A spirit that was not given. One of my pastors is here. We one time went to a meeting and the Lord gave me just, it was a word of knowledge. He says there are people here speaking in tongues, not from heaven. Modesta was here. I was there in that meeting. So I say there are people here who are speaking in tongues and they are not from heaven. But God says if I pray, the spirits by which you are speaking in tongues are going to manifest. So I start praying and the spirits manifested on people which were speaking in tongues. Are you following what I'm saying? It scares me too. Because a man can love God so dearly but know him differently. Be indifferent about his knowledge. And maybe, just maybe, these are the issues we're dealing with even in the church today. Because all of us desire to be teachers of the law, not knowing what we teach neither from whence we are from. Maybe including myself. By the way, I'm not marking myself against anybody. I'm trying to provoke every one of us to understand what God is saying in the hour. Because if you have been a student of revivals, it's always this thing that starts to bite when the flames come through. Read 1905 Azusa Street, William Seymour. That flame began so well. I went to Bernard Bray and somebody relayed the story for me. I read it. I was connected to what this man did by God. But by the end of that man's life, something started to go off. And he started to teach that if you're born again, right, and you sin, you have to commit your life again to Christ. You see what I'm saying? And there was a great divide. Did God use William Seymour? More than many people can think. I envy what God did by that man, if you read his story. But the truth is, it was a generation that understood later that this is not the truth about what William was preaching. But he preached these things in the middle of the Azusa Street Revival. And God was moving. As it was when you see the predicament that comes with that move and the seed that comes out of Azusa. And then I read 1926 Edward Joe Church, which was the man who brings actually the East African revival. Comes connects to an Irish nurse called Mabel Enso. And then when those two connect, they meet a man called Simeon Sibambi and a few Ugandans like William Nage and Ablasio Chigozi and the rest, Chinooka in the south. And that's how the revival begins in Uganda in the 20s and extends into Kenya and the other parts. Do you agree? So, even in the question of the seed, now this is for fathers, 
If we are going to embrace the next revival, the next move of God, there are questions we're going to have to ask in the foundation that consecrates us when it comes to doctrine. And I'm not saying we are ever going to agree on doctrine. The Pentecostal movement is divided by a thousand denominations. But the councils of Nicaea taught us something. And I don't see it today. What I see today is, is when we don't agree, we start attacking each other and fighting each other. And the body breaks more. And guess what? It happened in Ball's day also. He says some were preaching a Christ of strife and envy and contention and all these kinds of things. But there were times where the fathers would zoom out and say, anyway, Christ is being preached. And those that are not yet getting it, let's preach, let's pray for them, let's reach out to them, let's try to do whatever we can and see that we get them eventually. Because we might lose them while we look at these little small things and heaven is looking at something bigger. When revival comes, not everybody will have the right doctrine, but it will come anyway. But if we understand some of these things and carry the wisdom that is necessary to receive from heaven the oracles as they ought to come, maybe, just maybe, we will sustain this thing longer than we're supposed to sustain it. Am I communicating to somebody? Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. We have now to go back and understand what are the dimensions of the anointing Allow me to engage us there. At least I know seven. If you know more, at least I know seven. There are seven dimensions of the anointing. And when Jesus is teaching about these anointings, it's as though he tells us or shows us that certain anointings are above other anointings in function and purpose because they undergird the rest. Are you following what I'm saying? Some things come first in the order of the spirit. Paul would get a hanky and put it on a person or give it to a man and tell him, go and put this thing on a sick man. And that man would heal. That was a hanky. That kind of anointing, which is a pawn, can extend. That one doesn't look for a doctrine. It looks for any man which is willing to believe. This sign shall follow them which believe. Are you following what I'm saying? Do I believe in the miraculous? Try me. I'll show you. But my point here is, what is this church that he's preparing that is without spot nor wrinkle? Is it going to get perfection in the flesh without understanding God as they ought to? Because I believe it begins from the realm of understanding. Begins from the place of wisdom. A house is built and understanding, a house is established. And knowledge fills the house with all precious riches. The foundation must be wisdom first. Thank God for this theme, Jesus the Messiah. Because the Bible says he's been made our wisdom, our redemption, our sanctification, our righteousness. But not many of us are drawing from that wisdom. We can receive the miracle we can receive the breakthrough, we can get married, we can get children, and all of that is wisdom in its essence. But God is inviting us to something higher than that. Because Sophia is generic. We all receive that by faith. But there's that critical faculty. I think the Greek word there is sunesis. It starts to instruct you in ways beyond human language. 
Because it shows you things normal people might not see easily. It shows you things that even the human language has no power to put into words. And of these things, Paul says, I have in a figure transferred to Apollos. Because I can only imprint that as an image of understanding as I impart on him. Either through prayer or any other means. Some things might never be taught. Some things can only be extended as a man who has something on his life. Just speaks over your life and you take it. They might never be taught in a book. Time might never suffice enough for the human being to study the infinite wisdom of God. Certain things are only extended. But in scripture we read men who went to the end of councils. And they come back and say, I'm accountable of no, man blood, no man's blood. For I have revealed the full counsel of God. Paul, where do you get the audacity to say you have the full counsel? No, he knows where it ends. He went to the end of all perfection and saw the broadness of the word. And when he went to that end, he started coming back for men as one who knows where they are going. He's not guessing. He's not moving with them. He's actually leading where he's going. He knows where he's going. God help us. God help us. God deliver us from this blindness sometimes. And we become blind guides. We are guessing. We are trying. And his grace still suffices. It cradles us. It undergirds us even on that journey. But there's still that ultimate question. Do I really know where I'm leading my people? And not many of us can answer that question. Not many of us can answer that question. Can we tell the future? Ambiguously. Not many of us can. We're all trying. It's the humility of Paul, not that I've attained, but I sit that I may apprehend that which Christ apprehended me for. Yes, he also still has that part of, uh, I, I wish I can get it all. I, but he knows that there are things he knows. And he can say, now with this, no man can die. That kind of confidence. For a man to carry a whole nation's blood by his counsel. He knows that what's inside him is both new and it is old. And it's going to speak for years. If Christ is not yet back, his message will be relevant. If any man can come, they cannot lay a foundation anymore except what he has laid. You can only build upon it, you can't lay it again. What a grace. But the prophetic word is still speaking. That in the last days, knowledge shall be increased. So who is available for the increase of that knowledge? Because whether you want it or not, every dispensation younger than you will know better than you did. Yet in its own, it cannot stand without connecting to the womb that begat it. The understanding that even though I might know more than my father, there's things that I must get from my father first to qualify my knowledge. My God. Are you following what I'm saying? It will come through. And in every generation, there's people who are going to be available for what is new, whether they are old or young. Are you following what I'm saying? In this instance, by the way, let me correct us. When I say young or old, I'm not talking about age. <laughs> you know, I've heard young people say, you know, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. But when you study the Jewish culture, <laughs> they used to put wine in God's skin, right? So they would, you know, put wine there and use it and use it. When somebody used it for a long time, the wineskin would age. And to make it new, they got that same wineskin and put it in oil. When they put that old wineskin, whether it's four or five years or ten years old, and you put it in oil, are you following what I'm saying? And you took it out, it was a new wineskin. 
So it's not old because of its age. It's old because of the last time it was actually dipped in new oil. I know people who are 60, but they are connecting to what heaven is saying. And I know people who are 35 and they're still trying to figure out this equation. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because in heaven, it's beyond this age, physical. So it's not enough to say, oh, I'm young, so I have the opportunity. No, I, have, I, I went to school with very anointed people whose brooks dried early and I watched it and feared, even for myself. They're still young, they still have strength, they're vibrant. But their frequency cannot be hard. It's usually foundational. We cannot have, let us not deceive ourselves, we cannot have the right revelation if we cannot consecrate our foundations. Some of the things I'm speaking, I might be speaking to a few people here, but I'm speaking to somebody. I'm speaking to somebody. Somebody shout amen. Shout amen. So I was saying that I could talk about the seven dimensions of the anointing. And I believe in Isaiah 11 too, from about there, he, he, he speaks about the seven spirits. You know them, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. But after this spirit of lordship, which is the essence of salvation, when you become born again, this is where Peter now says now, buckle your seatbelts, gather your loins, and prepare yourself for the grace that shall be revealed unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of salvation. Wherefore, grab up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Get ready for this ride. Because there is grace going to come to you at the revelation of Jesus. Now that you've received his lordship through salvation. And the first place he takes us to is the spirit of wisdom. And in the right order, wisdom has always preceded understanding. Understanding has always preceded knowledge in the order of God. The only problem is we see things from earth to heaven. But when we see, when we see things from heaven to earth, we will see that wisdom precedes understanding. Understanding precedes knowledge. When you receive Jesus Christ, which is your wisdom, even before your mind had caught up. Are you understanding me? You're so quiet. This year you're going to America. Ah, you see? Somebody shout hallelujah. <laughs> Am I being understood? Yes, you will understand in the name of Jesus. What you don't ask Apostle Selman, he will explain. Now, listen. Listen. Salvation was supposed to be a place of preparing yourself to be amazed. That is why some of us love the Bible. When you read it, I, sometimes I read the scripture and I feel like I want to explode and scream. Because of the grace that comes to me at the revelation of Jesus. That kind of revelation buts a certain place, a deeper place in this wisdom in understanding that is and it introduces another grace of anointing that is beyond what the gift can ever give you because gifts can only create room they don't qualify you to sit on thrones but 
How do you then explain to a generation that only knows how to watch gets? Because that's a problem. When the gets watching, we're holding the enemies away. We're fortifying our walls. When it comes to our thrones, our thrones are speaking differently. Because we've not even yet understood what it means to stand in dominion. Recently, they passed a very good law in my country. I wish you knew what some of us were doing in that period. Are you following what I'm saying? God is raising a generation that is not only going to watch on the gates, but it's going to make the decisions for their land. They will sit in their altar and pray. And tomorrow people will sit and gather to make a decision as a certain woman somewhere in Bungoma was praying. Because they don't need to be physically known to lead this nation. They don't even need to sit in the office. They just need to know God a certain way. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. The days of such prophets are here. The days of such apostles are here. The days of such pastors are here. The days of such teachers are here. The days of such evangelists are here. My God. You read American history. And then George Bush has to call a man of God to ask him, should I attack or not? And Bill Graham tells him, don't attack. And he says, lay down everything. Bill Graham has spoken. In his own words, he said, <laughs> even if somebody had wanted to, co co to give me the highest office, I'm already in the office of heaven. Are you following what I'm saying? So I'm not saying that I'm demeaning the offices God has appointed on the earth. I'm only trying to say, for especially our government people, God wants to give you more than the credentials you have in that office. He wants to give you an authority to sit in your room and say, this shall not be. And it can only be so and not otherwise. Tell your neighbor, guard up your loins. So he speaks of the spirit of wisdom and it comes first. When he's talking about Bezalel, he says in him there is the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of wisdom and understanding and knowledge is upon him. You see, wisdom preceded understanding and knowledge. When you become born again, you begin from a place of wisdom. And then you get to know God. Progressive knowledge, gnosko. But as you progressively know God, you originally had epignosis, the complete and perfect knowledge of God, of things ethical and divine, because the unction from on high makes you know all things. Now, because your mind has not yet reconciled to that experience or reality, it doesn't mean that you don't have that experience or reality. That is why he says, cancer in the heart of a man is as deep waters, but only a man with the Bible can draw it out. No, only a man with understanding can draw it out. But where is the counsel coming from? From your spirit. The scriptures are a mirror. He says we behold like in a mirror. That's why he says if a, if a man reads this word and is not a doer, is it so? He's likened to a man who looks into a word and does what? Yeah, this thing is a mirror. He says, and we behold like in a glass the glory of God. We are metamorphosed. We are changed. 
If you give me the amplified version. Do you have the amplified version? Do you? Yes. And all of us as we unveil face because, listen, we continue to what? In the word of God as in a? The glory of the? We are constantly being transfigured into his very own icon, image, in ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another degree. For this comes from the Lord who is that spirit. That's why you read your Bible. That you might be changed. That you might be changed. This is a generation that is going to start reading its own Bible. So that when a preacher is preaching, you're simply reconciling what your spirit has already affirmed by your experience. Guard up the loins of your minds. Brace yourself for the grace that is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about wisdom. That we're going to emphasize the place of salvation. But let's emphasize the place of divine wisdom. Says so that when the serpent brings a fruit, we can tell that the vision you have cast on my eye is not the vision of God concerning wisdom. The thing you're showing me, that is not from heaven. The thing you're revealing to me, that is not from heaven. Because a little living, the Bible says, spoils the whole lamp. In the middle of revival. In the middle of revival. Somebody shout hallelujah. As you continue beholding that word, the Bible says you're changed. You're transformed to the very image and likeness of Christ. And as you're being transformed by that image, because wisdom makes your face shine. How many of you know that, part, that verse? Wisdom makes your face shine. God starts to announce you right. They might not agree with you in the first place, but they'll understand you later. Of course you'll attract spirits that will try to misrepresent what you're saying. Paul one time sat and preached a pure doctrine of grace. And a man came, Romans 3, 8, and slanderously said that Paul was saying, let us do evil so good should come. Imagine, a man sat in the meeting and he came out and said, this man is teaching sin. This man, Paul, is teaching sin. It happened to Paul in 3, 8. In the middle of the wisdom of God. That's why I tell people, be slow to judge what you've not heard. You judge what you have heard. And if you don't agree with it, at the first and second admonishing, you can regard the man a heretic. But try to admonish him. Because we're losing people. They're not admonished. The first time they're wrong, we wish they were wrong. Because it's, it puts our ministries in danger if they are right. Somebody said, God help us. Paul understood this wisdom. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4 2, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. He says, but we were in the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to the consciences of all men. You start to introduce yourself to the consciences of all men. Some men or people start reading you a certain way. Because you carry that revelation, that wisdom on your spirit. 
you know what it means to commend yourself to the conscience of a man? It means you introduce yourself right to people. Yeah. I think I'm talking to a few people who are in the back. You see? <laughs> but that wisdom, he says, by that wisdom, you will commend yourself to their conscience because the conscience in a man is a place that hears God. That a man will hear God and say, what this man is saying is of God. My spirit agrees with him. Because if you don't look for such an introduction, you're going to become crafty. You're going to become manipulative. You're going to become transactional. Paul says, my speech was not in the plausible words of men, but as it was in the demonstration of the power of God, the spirit of God operating on me and steering in the hearts of my hearers the most holy emotions and thus persuading them. They are persuaded by a holy emotion, but not because I'm politically correct. And this is not only for a preacher. You can be a businessman who knows how to speak above the wisdom of men. You can be a politician who knows how to speak above the wisdom of men. You can be an administrator who knows how to speak above the wisdom of men. Because what they want to leave, what they want to leave when they meet you is beyond the wisdom by which you speak. But the things that happen in their emotions when you speak, that's what they call holy emotions. And that's persuading them. When you introduce yourself like that in the heart of a man, it's hard to leave their heart. Because you didn't manipulate yourself there. The word of God in your spirit introduced you. But remember, this gospel is offense also. So it might offend, but it will revive another. What do you do? You keep on the course. You keep on the course. You keep on the course. God told me the next move of the spirit is going to be the reconciliation of the spirit and the word. Because there has to be a perfect balance. Not only to be spiritual, but without revelation. Or speaking what we cannot manifest. No, we need that perfect balance. That we get to a point where our generation knows what they are speaking and we can prove it. When I say Jesus heals, I can actually heal a sick person. When I say Jesus saves, I can do something for the salvation of a man in the name of Jesus by his grace. When I say that Jesus makes wealthy, I'm the example that my provisions did not come through the manipulation of a system or a process. There was no fraud. There was no, you know, <laughs> kickback. No, it came because I believed in a God who can supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. When they come to ask us, how did you do it? We told them, we did it by the word. We want to make men fall in love with this word again. And read it like they had never read it before. At least may God use you to a place where a man will, read, will fall in love with the word by hearing you talk about Jesus. The Messiah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Don't worry, I'm almost finishing. He told me that you can be positioned yet not wise enough 
Positioning is something because it defines direction. But you can start that journey as you have been directed but without the wisdom. Without the wisdom. David is an example. Samuel 16, they anoint him, they say you are king. That's positioning. Spiritually, from that day, the anointing of a king left Saul. But David was not ready. Positioned right, but he could not sit in the office. Even though he was anointed as a king, he could not sit in the office of the king. He needed that wisdom. And God now starts to educate him himself because he thinks as you study this pattern of David, somehow you'll carry the wisdom that helps men sit in the office where they've been anointed. Because today we see that, huh, can I call it conflict? That chasm of a people who are either positioned but without the office or people with the office but without its wisdom. God help me. Me, I'm praying for myself. Because as I'm, this is a sword. I want you to understand. It's also cutting. It's not easy here where I'm standing. It's a thing about the word. It cuts us all. <laughs> Whether you knew it before or not, it has its way to cut us. But I pray, I pray, sorry, that God will cut pride, cut ego, cut theology, cut credentials, cut qualifications, cut title, cut everything, and get to that point in me that must breathe him again and say, there must be more, and I feel the missing sequence in this conversation has to do with something I don't know. There must be more. There must be more. 80% of the churches in the world, the record has been released at below 200 members. I still hear pastors who say, it's not about members. You're joking. It is about numbers. Satan is for numbers. He's taking them to hell. Jesus died for the whole world. Bible says it's the propitiation of our sins. Not only for us, but also for the sins of the world. We want to take them all. It's 2.7 billion Christians on the face of the earth. Out of the 8 billion people on the face of the earth. That's still a small number. I don't know what or how this will happen. But I pray by God that whatever we are missing in this conference, somebody makes a prayer that will release it. Because I know God hears men when they pray. Now the message is giving us direction. It's the manifold wisdoms of God. Every time they are revealed to the principalities and powers of this world, things change. Things change. The quality of Christianity was questioned most. I read one writer who was once, once born Presbyterian. And then when he grew up, he joined Satanism. Because he said Christianity is simply too weak in the place of calamity. I don't blame him. He doesn't know enough about God. But I also want to understand him from where he's speaking. Because when things like plagues come, that's when you understand where we really are in this bearing. When COVID came, science was answering more than we were answering. 
and they closed everybody and said, churches, wait. You don't yet have the answers. We take charge. And I don't know whether some of you are okay with that, but some of us were not. We're talking about wisdom. But is, are we talking about fallen wisdom or divine wisdom? Listen, this man you're preaching about, this man we are talking about, walked on water. He never fell sick. This is the man who is living in us through faith. This is a man in Paul as he's, you know, lighting a fire on Malta and a viper fastens on him and he shakes it off and the Bible says he felt no harm. And they watch to see him die and he died and die and they say, this man is a God. And a man next to you sneezes and then you run away. Precaution. <laughs> a story is given about a man called John Gilex. He lived in a time of a plague. And the story is given that when that plague hit, John Gilex was the one carrying these dead bodies. And the doctor started asking him, man, you're going to get sick. These plagues are contagious. And he says, I have the life of God in me. And it's spoken that the doctors put John Gillex under a microscope and they put jams, the jams of that plague and they say every jam that touched his body died. And I am living with the same scriptures John Gillex read. I'm speaking the same tongues John Gillex is speaking and I don't have an answer in COVID season. So if I was not relevant then, how am I going to be relevant after? They started mocking at us. That's why in COVID season, I asked for permission exclusively. And I went in COVID hospitals, laying hands on them with my bare hands. Be healed. 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 There's somebody telling me, this man will kill people. Listen, we are already dead. live yet not I but Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live I live by the faith of the son of God who gave his life for blame the reverend he invited me I was in my home minding my own business and he said come <laughs> somebody shout hallelujah so positioning can come without the wisdom. That's what he says in Hosea chapter 9 verses 13. He says, Ephraim I saw was as Tyrus. He says, he is planted in a pleasant place. But he shall bring forth his children to the murderer. And he will have miscarrying wombs. His breasts will dry even though he's well positioned. Why? Because in Hosea 13 verses 12, his iniquity is bound upon him. The sorrows of a travailing woman comes upon him for his un unwise son. He should not stay long in the place of breaking forth of children. Ladies and gentlemen, wisdom and an inheritance must come together. That is why in Ecclesiastes he says, wisdom is good with an inheritance. I must carry the power 
that comes with that wisdom. But I need that wisdom. So he's saying, our breasts are dry, but we're raising children in church. We are miscarrying our sons. Why? Because we are unwise. We are placed in pleasant places. We are positioned right. Where is the advantage of this positioning? You have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. What is this positioning? You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everything that you ever needed to live the life of salvation has already been given unto you by faith. But it's not yet working. Why? Because we've not connected to wisdom. There's nothing the church of Jesus cannot do. Be not deceived. And the day we fully come to that understanding and I feel it's not far. This world is going to be in trouble. This world is going to be in trouble. Because with soonnesses will come fronesses. Determining the mode of action because we see the end. We have the understanding of that wisdom. A man will say this is going to happen tomorrow morning and it has to be. Not because he's a prophet, but he has enough wisdom in God to know how. <laughs> Soonnesses, fronnesses, these are the, found, the, the, the pillars of Sophia, wisdom. Are you following what I'm saying? That's what Job knew. In Job chapter 29 verses 2. If you'll open with me there. I want to finish. He says, oh, that I were as in the months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head. This was wisdom. And when by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. There was something on me that introduced me right. The Bible says Job was the greatest man in the East. He was great. And he's saying, I was not only great because I had the right relationships, I was not great because I had some, you know, <laughs> connections here and there. No, I was great because there was something that was shining on my head. And he explains how it came, verse 6. Now, if you didn't understand anything, understand only this verse. Only this. He says, I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me oil poured me out rivers of oil. Let me explain it. Let me explain it. The Bible says that the churning of milk brings butter. The agitating of milk brings butter. The pressing of milk brings butter. He says as, as babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God that you might grow therein. So you got the message of God. You received it from your beginning because this, is, this has to begin from the foundation. It has to begin when you have just received Christ or if you missed it, you can start from here. But when they received the milk, they started agitating it. They started pressing it together. They started crushing it and frustrating it until its churning brought forth butter. And Job said, I realized that every time I was in the oracle of God, every time I was in what God was saying, every time I received this frequency from heaven, I pressed it, I agitated it, 
I allowed it to consume me. It took control over me and I digested it. When I pressed it so hard, it became butter. And when it became butter, I watched my steps, which is ministry. With what? With what was pressed out of the demystification of the things that are studying. And the rock, which is who? Christ poured me out. Somebody is understanding me. The rock poured me out rivers of oil. He that is sent of the Lord speaks the words of the Lord and to him the Lord giveth an anointing without measure. Why? Because they are speaking wisdom. And I realized this. Once you connect to that place in the spirit, nothing, nothing by his anointing limits you. The anointing available for you is without measure. That's why this man could walk on water. Because there is wisdom on him to defy every law. By fallen wisdom. We have to go back in the pressing. We have to go back in our Bibles and actually study them. Gone are the days where we're going to be coming to church for pastors to read Bibles for us. No. The days are here where when the apostle opens the Bible, I read there last night. Oh, glory to God. I read there last evening. That's where I was. Because the eons are telling us, the ages are telling us, knowledge is increasing in every dispensation, both in the world and in the spirit realm. Artificial intelligence, augmented reality, robotics, the internet of things, the car battery, you know, epigenetics, you know, genetic what? Whatever you, that English of yours. Things are advancing in the world faster than the church is adapting and mutating. He says that the sons, the children of this world have become wiser in their generation. The word there comes from the word gene. Their genes are evolving faster than the children of light. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That gene also has a certain thing. It has something. That is why I prophesy in the name of Jesus. Should the world look for the next cure of something like HIV or cancer, let it come from a tongue-speaking, spirit-filled believer somewhere in Uganda. When they're looking for the next innovation, let it come from somebody somewhere in mention your city. Somebody shout amen. When they are looking for the next ideas in finances to advance the nation, to advance banks, the next banking system, robust. It should come from somebody somewhere. Speaking in tongues. So that when they get on that stage and they ask them, how did you do it? They say, man, toli barade go zigata, sompradega, lotila barando ho siere 
kete rokolande kopande so rate ketele what do you mean i mean to say mantoli radege sotolo bala kolibade konde telekete <laughs> glory let's finish this i want to hear the apostle listen Because of that wisdom, he says, when I went out to the get through the city, when I prepared my seat in the streets, the young men saw me and hid themselves. The aged arose and stood up. The princes refrained from speaking because when he spoke, nobody wanted to speak again. They laid their hand on their mouth. The nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, it blessed me. When the eye saw me, it gave witness to me because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me. When a man was descending and they needed to leave a mantle, they threw it on Job. Because they will see the continuation of divine conviction. Don't take for granted the age when they pray for you. Especially when they carry something on their life. A hoary head is of great glory when it ages in what? Righteousness. He says, I put on righteousness. It closed me. My judgment was as a robe and diadem. I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor. The cause which I knew not, I searched out. I broke the jaws of the wicked and plucked the spoil of the teeth. Verses 19, my root was spread out by the waters and the dew lay all night upon my branch. Oh, 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 who knows the meaning of that? Do you remember in the, in the, in the Old Testament that dew fell before manna fell? Job is saying his dew lay all night upon his branch. That means revelation was available. Oh, revelations. <laughs> is it 217? Why well, he says, I shall give thee of the hidden manna. No, manna still exists in this dispensation. It's not seen by all. Yet it's given to all. But it's not seen by all. He says, my root was spread out. Verses 20, my glory was fresh in me. My bow was renewed in my hand. And to me men gave ear and waited and kept silent at my counsel. After my words they spoke not again. And my speech dropped upon them. They waited for me as for the rain. And they opened their mouth wide as for the latter rain. If I laughed on them they believed it not. And the light of my countenance they cast not down. Because something was on that man. It was the wisdom of God. We are not going to see the move as we ought to see. We can't see it, but as we ought to see it. If we don't hunger to connect to these realities. Because they are already available for us. There's somebody who has been listening to me these minutes that I've been speaking. And they have understood me. When we got this thing, when I got this thing, Reverend Julian, allow me to come down there. When I got this thing, I got 50 students were in a small room of a gentleman called Robert. He had given me a place to pray. 
and I told them, I'm going on TBN. There was no cameras, there was no lights, we didn't have a piano. Just 50 young men hungry. I told them I'm going to go on the biggest television in the world. I have to. I have something in my spirit. I don't know how, but I'm going to tarry. Are you following what I'm saying? One day I'm preaching. Somebody flies from South Africa and says, we heard you speaking. And we're going to put you on TBN at any cost. As I started TBN Africa, TBN Europe also came and said, we're going to put you on. Then Desta came and said, we're going to put you on. And God TV came and they also said, we're going to put you on. Faith World TV. Faith TV Canada. India. I'm doing some work somewhere there in Hyderabad in the south. One of the biggest television stations. And recently we just signed with TBN Russia. I'm preaching the gospel. <laughs> Somebody shout amen. This thing will take you places. Tell your neighbor, this thing will take you places. I tell people I'm not a pastor for the world, but I have a message for the world. I'm not, I'm not a pastor for the world. I know that I can't pastor Pastor Kimani's congregation. That one I know. But I have a message for the world. I want to talk to somebody who is big enough to run mad and believe God. Whoever knew from East Africa. Uganda. Third world country, dusty streets of Kampala, and some potfalls on the side. God could raise something like that. God can work through anybody, for anybody, to his glory. Am I perfect? No. I'm still a work in progress. But brother, I am digging in that thing. I'm burning the midnight oil. I'm losing sleep and appetite. I desire his word more than necessary In five years, we had the biggest congregation in our country. And I don't say this boastfully. I speak this with all humility. It's working. 15,000 people every Thursday. 600 streaming centers that are catering for more than 30,000 watching. Some sit 4,000 where I'm not. And we're just starting. The world has not yet heard us. It will hear us. They might delay to understand us, but they will eventually understand us. But we're still humble. We're still teachable. We're still correctable. This is what is starting in East Africa. This is what is in West Africa. You hear men speak and their voice is different. It's not in a book, it's not in a text. It's coming from a man's spirit out of his experience with his God. Something is happening on our continent. I'm not going to demonstrate power. I want the apostle to get on straight. I'm just going to give you just a few minutes to receive what has been spoken. Just a few minutes. Just a few minutes. Listen, it doesn't matter whether you're 75. If you're still alive, you're in our generation. Ask for it. Say, God, take me to the next level. 
open your mouth and speak to Jesus. Have like five minutes here. Somebody's receiving something so heavy this evening. So heavy this evening. So heavy this evening. Somebody's receiving something so heavy this evening. There are people God has called for nations here. He has not just called you for your community. You are called for nations. And you know yourself. Something is happening in your spirit. 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 There is a person who God told on these grounds. You, you, you close your eyes and see yourself in stadiums. Filled with people listening to the God you are preaching. There is somebody here. You, as you see yourself standing on the highest pedestal in this continent. Speaking to billions and millions of people across the world. There is somebody here. When you go to sleep, you see yourself do things nobody related to you has ever done. Where are the Lord's prophets? Where are the Lord's prophets? If you are a prophetic anointing, I call you forth. My beloved, the most beautiful among thousands and thousands, my beloved, the most beautiful. Apostolic anointings. Receive it. Who called you? Oh, you came. Who are these? Who are these? Prophetics. Oh no. When I said I call you, okay, it's okay. Since you've come, let me do it. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, may they receive the next level of their ministry. Power of the Holy Ghost! Thank you, Lord Jesus. You as well, put up your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, receive the next level of your ministry. Power of the Holy Ghost! The rest stay back. Whether you're an apostle or a pastor, when I say call out, I didn't mean physical. I didn't mean physical. I'm praying for pastors. If you're a pastor and you're in this place and you say, I want to go to the next level. May God open your spiritual eyes to see the deeper things of God. I'm praying for evangelists here. The 
and may God take you to the next level. May signs, miracles, and wonders follow you. May the lame walk, may the blind see, may the dumb speak, may the deaf hear as you are demonstrating the wisdom of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus.